Welcome to the New Hope Podcast. Our mission at New Hope is to engage our city with the love of Jesus, one relationship at a time. We pray this message encourages you in encountering God's love and displaying it to your city. We hope to see you soon. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to a few passages of Scripture today, but we're going to be in Acts 13, and then we're going to be in Psalms 51 as well as Psalms 27. We're continuing in our series, The Story of Scripture, and we're going to be talking about King David today. And King David is in aspects of 1 Samuel as well as all of 2 Samuel. And so there's no one passage of Scripture that we're going to walk through today, but instead we're going to look at King David from a more of a topical perspective and ask some questions about King David's life that I really think you and I can learn from. If you don't know who King David is, King David is one of the most important figures in the Old Testament. He was one who God made a very intentional covenant with. Now, throughout this series, we've been talking about covenants. We've been talking about the covenant that God made with Adam in creation, that he is to multiply and he is to reign and to rule over all of creation. That covenant was broken when Adam and Eve sinned and they rebelled against God. And covenant relationship, the most intimate type of relationship in all of Scripture that was between God and man was broken because of Adam and Eve's rebellion. Due to that rebellion, if we study Genesis and really study all of history, we see brokenness and hurt all throughout Scripture uh, leading up to where we get into Genesis chapter 12 where we see God once again come and make a covenant with Abram, eventually became known as Abraham, And the covenant was, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to all nations. And this is the story of Scripture, more specifically of the Old Testament, because it's playing out that covenant relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Israelite people. We see covenant continue to go on with God once he brought the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt. And when he gave them the Ten Commandments and he gave them the law with Moses, we see this as the Mosaic covenant where God makes a covenant not just with a person, but with a whole people group known as his covenant people. And they were to love him and worship him above all. And we've been studying aspects of that throughout the Old Testament in the series. Well, now that we get to King David, here's another unique covenant that is made with King David. And the covenant is simply this, is that God promises David because of his faithfulness, he was not perfect, but because of his faithfulness and because of God's sovereign plan, he made a covenant with King David that there would always be one who reigned and ruled for all eternity that was of the lineage of King David. And we will see in this story of why it's so important, because ultimately that points to Jesus, and Jesus is in the lineage of King David, and he was the one who God was promising King David that there will come one, you will have a son who will reign and rule forever on the throne. Now, the Old Testament understanding saw that as there would always be a son, and so each generation King David would have on the throne, but we see that be fully and perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, which is why when we read the Gospels and the Gospel writers give us a lineage, it's important because they're pointing the lineage back to important promises in the Old Testament. And we see it pointing back to King David, specifically in Matthew, is going back and showing that lineage how Jesus is in the line of David. Thus, he can fulfill that covenant promise. So King David is an important figure. But one of the most important things about King David that gets talked about, which is what we're going to talk about this afternoon, 
is the statement that is given in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 22, is where we're going to start. And if you're in our one-year reading, we're not in Acts. We're over in 2 Samuel, which King David is, is the story of King David. But we're going to use this as Acts 32 to give a testimony about King David. And we're going to ask a question that we're going to try to answer in this sermon. And, it, and it's this question or this statement which leads to the question in Acts 13.22. Talking about King David, it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, and he's quoting 1 Samuel 13, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. One of the most popular statements about King David is the statement that King David was a man after God's own heart. And this is, this is a, a, a statement of honor. And it's a statement that honestly I hope would be said about my life. So here's what we want to do this afternoon in today's sermon. We want to ask the question, what characteristics about David do we see that would, be, that would earn him the honor and the privilege of the statement, he was a man after God's own heart? And we're going to answer that question in four parts today. And truth number one, or the first thing that we see about King David that represented him as a man after God's own heart, was the first is that he prioritized prayer. He prioritized prayer. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, we see a story of towards the end of King David's uh, time as king. And we see that his son um, tried to take over the throne. And so what happened is there's this coup that took place and his son Absalom gathered all, all of the people and earned their trust and turned them against their prosperous and wise king, King David. And so what happens is King David has to leave Jerusalem, has to leave the city of David as it was called. He had to leave his capital city and he had to flee. And there comes this point where because of his fleeing that he had to leave the temple. Now we understand from 2 Samuel 15 that that the Ark of the Covenant was coming with King David because the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament is a picture of God's divine presence right there in the moment. And because God's divine presence was there, it was a promise often that led to victory and it led to favor. And King David knew that he was a mighty king, not because of himself, but because of God's presence with him and because of God's favor with him. And so the Ark of the Covenant would follow King David into battle and other places. But the Ark of the Covenant made its home in Jerusalem. And so when King David was fleeing, we see the priest bring the Ark of the Covenant. And when they get to the edge of the city, King David turns them back. And he sends the priest and the Ark of the Covenant back into the city. And we're going to talk about that more in just a second. But when he is out um, in hiding and in exile, away from um, his kingdom and away from his city and his son is taking over, remember the Ark of the Covenant is not with him, which was a picture of God's presence. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture, which we've talked about before, and you've heard me preach on it before, is Psalms 27. But it was in this moment of exile at the end of King David's life that Psalms 27.4 is written, and that he is away from the presence of God. And he makes this statement in Psalms 27.4. He's, he's praying and he's crying out to God. And he says this, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, verses 2 and 3 talk about the situation that he's in, that literally there's an enemy that is surrounding him that is trying to eat up his flesh. 
And King David's response in that moment was that he prioritized prayer even over fighting. He prioritized prayer and being in the presence of God even over safety and comfort, even over the well-being of his flesh, even over the well-being of his resources and his finances. When he had lost everything, so to speak, in this moment, he had lost his kingdom, his family had turned on him, the people around him had turned on him, he was older and he was losing his health. When all things were passing away, when he was describing his situation as literally he was surrounded by something that was going to eat up and destroy his flesh he says the one thing i want not the one thing have i asked for in the sense that he's never asked for anything else it's not a question of, of numbers of request it's a statement of priority the number one thing i want above anything else is that i can be back in the presence of god i want to be back in his temple i want to worship him right there in his presence i want to be with the ark of the covenant not for the ark itself's sake but because it represents and it's the place that god's presence comes and meets him on earth it is the place of covenant relationship so to speak it's right there i can be with god i prioritize prayer this was a characteristic that marked david his entire life one particular story that comes to mind at the end of 1 Samuel before he is king is shortly before he becomes king, he is uh, in exile once again before he becomes king. He's exiled from the Israelite people because Saul's on the throne and he's running from Saul who's also trying to steal and kill and destroy his life and he's away from Saul. And because he's out, he's out at battle and his family and uh, his, his army and their family, they're left behind. And there's another group of raiders that come and capture his entire family. Well, when they come back, when King David and his army come back from battle and they see that their entire village has been destroyed and all their kids and their wives have been taken captive and they can't find them, of course, his men and David also is like, let's go get them. Let's go find them. But it's interesting, and it's a no-brainer. Let's be honest, this is an interesting characteristic of King David in this story because if I come home and I recognize that my family is missing and has been taken, there's not a question of whether I go after and try to rescue my family. But what does King David do? We see from that story in 1 Samuel 30. It says that King David stops and he prays to God and he asks God, should I go after my family? Will you bless me? Will you make me victorious? And before he does even what seems obvious, he stops and he prays. See, King David, one of the marks that make him a man after God's own heart is because he prioritized prayer over everything else. You and I are in a season where we need everything else. We need food. We need hand sanitizer. We need health. We need doctors. Our doctors need a lot of things. We need resources. We need, we need, and we need. And I am not saying by any means that we don't try to provide for those needs. But hear me say, if we want to be an individuals and we want to be people and we want to be a church that says even amidst difficult times like King David here in Psalms 27 when literally everything has turned against him, even in difficult times... And we want to be called people after God's own heart. We must be a people who prioritize prayer. In difficult moments, even today, where are you turning to first? Are you turning to Amazon quickly trying to buy something that you can't get at the store or whatever? Or are we turning to prayer? And I want to encourage you, I'm not saying, in King David in 1 Samuel 30, he went after his family. So I'm not saying you stand by and do nothing. No, let's leverage all the resources available for us 
but let us prioritize prayer. And that is what King David did. And that was the first mark that made him a man after God's own heart. Second, do we see him not only prioritize prayer, but second, we see him trust providence. What is providence? Providence is God's sovereign plan over everything that's going on, even when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to be honest for a second. I'm getting the question a lot. How is God loving in this? How is God loving in this pandemic? How is God merciful in this pandemic? And that's, a, and that's a, a, a question that I'm honestly not going to fully answer here because I'm still, honestly, I'm still working through trying to be able to answer that as a pastor and want to be faithful to God. But first thing, as we talk about thinking about, because I don't want to put God's motives, I don't know fully His motives and I don't understand some of these things. I do understand something though, that ultimately evil and destruction is not of God, but it's of our own sin and our own doing. And I do know that God is merciful and I do know what that God is sovereign meaning I trust his providence where do the work of God's providence it is his creation when he created thing everything in Genesis 1 and 2 when he spoke all things into existence in his providence he created and in his providence he is sustaining in his sovereign plan he is keeping Jesus it says that he all through him and by him all things were created and all things exist because of Christ and in Christ. That Christ is providentially working all things together. Romans 8, go look it up. Romans 8 says that God is working all things for the good of those who love Him and for His glory. And so for us who love Him, we can trust that God is working all things good and He is being merciful. And just to process this a little bit as I think through it and I go, where's God's mercy in this? And and let me be honest, is I do not want to say I'm grateful by any means for the suffering and tragedy. Just this week along, talking with medical personnel who are on the front lines, just know we're praying for them and, and recognizing that they're seeing hurt and tragedy beyond anything they ever thought they would within their profession. And as we're praying for you, and as we're praying, and I'm thinking through, going, God, there's just so much suffering. Here's what I do know, though. is James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be complete, lacking in nothing. Here's what I know. Is that in difficult times, tragedy pushes us to Jesus. It pushes us to trust on Him. It recognizes, it helps us see our lack of control. And King David modeled this well I want to specifically read 2 Samuel chapter 15. It's the moment where he is fleeing out of Jerusalem because his son Absalom is trying to take over the throne. And it says, And uh, Abathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with the Levites. These are the priests of the people who took care of the temple. They were bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of the Covenant until all the people had passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. And listen to this, if I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, are you not a seer? Go back to the city in peace with your sons, Ahimaaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abathar, see I will wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. 
So Zadok and Abithar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem and they remained there. I want us to see what King David does in this moment. The ark of the covenant is coming with King David and here's what he says, no, 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 no. God is sovereign. The ark of the covenant belongs in the temple of God here in Jerusalem. Leave it. And if in God's sovereign providence, he chooses to allow me to come back here safely, then great. But if he doesn't, then I trust his plan and so let it be. You see, King David was a man after God's own heart because even when he didn't understand, even how is, let me just pause. If I were King David, I'd been faithfully serving God. I'd made mistakes. We're about to see some of King David's mistakes. But I had tried to be someone who faithfully served God. And all of a sudden, my son, God, you're allowing my son to take my throne? That's not fair. I've been faithfully serving you. I've been your king over your people. I've tried to be faithful to you, and you're going to allow this to happen. How are you being fair? How are you being loving to me? How are you being merciful? It's not King David's question. King David said, look, I trust God. He is sovereign, and I trust that he is working all things for his glory. Doesn't make it easy. Doesn't mean there's not suffering. And it doesn't mean he's causing it as much as just recognizing he is still sovereign, even amidst our this, the death and the hurt that has been brought on this world due to our sin. Genesis 3 makes it clear. Gen- God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat, in Genesis 2, if you eat and disobey, you will die. He's warning them, if you disobey and rebel against me, destruction will not only come to you, but it will come to all mankind and it will come to this world. And so I'm just simply saying, is we are where we are and tragedy is hitting let our response be, we trust providence, God. We call out to you, we prioritize prayer. We're trusting your providence and we are trusting you. See, I've been thinking about fear a lot and we've been talking about fear through this season. And the truth is, is fear can be a really good thing. We talked about last week, just this idea of anxiety and fear, and that we see good fear, fear of God and anxiety and a good anxiety, but we talked about a bad anxiety and fear where we take focus off of God and put it on the things of this world. But let me be honest, there are good sides to fear, and one of the good sides to fear is fear lets us realize that we are not in control of a situation. When I become afraid, it's because I can't control what might happen. When I become afraid of any situation, it's because I can't control the situation. And fear can be good because God uses fear to allow us to see that we are not in control. And so I pray, though, our response to fear is the problem. When we respond in fear of trying to take more and more control and try to be God over our situation and not trust God's providence, then we are not allowing fear to do what it's supposed to do in us, which is to turn us to God and to trust Him. And so where is God's mercy in this? Let me tell you at least how God has been merciful in my life. And I want to recognize that I am not at all. One, I haven't been sick, and so I I can't speak to that. And I haven't faced a lot of the other pressures that many in this world are facing right now. But hear me, it doesn't mean I'm not afraid. And it doesn't mean I'm not recognizing the reality of the world around me. But here's how fear has done good, and here's how God has been merciful. It's brought me to the feet of Jesus. It's helped me realize I need you. See, King David in this moment when he is being run out of town, he prioritizes prayer and he says, look, I'm a mighty warrior and the men around me are mighty warriors, but that's not going to win the day. Turning to God and trusting him is the only way I get through this 
the way God's sovereign plan wants me to get through this. Listen to me, that doesn't mean that everything that happens in this world is God's fault. That's not, this, that's not exactly what providence, that's not exactly what sovereignty means. We have and we bear the consequences of our mistakes. King David did that, and we're about to talk about that in a second. Where through murder and adultery, he bore the consequence of that. But at the same time, it does mean that even amidst suffering and tragedy, we can trust God. That he is still good. That he is loving. And so might you today, would you trust God's providence? You want to be a man or woman after God's own heart. You prioritize prayer and you trust his sovereign providence. Doesn't mean we don't pray for healing. Doesn't mean we don't pray that we are asking these things to happen. But at the end of the day, we trust him. He is good. He is loving. And he is the only one who can save our souls. He is the one who we need. We're seeing all over the world our incapabilities even in this moment. Let us be a church. Let us be a people. Let us be people who cry out to God and go, God, please show us your mercy. Show us your grace. Let us be a people who turn to Him. And we will see and feel His mercy and His grace in our lives. So in this season, let's trust God's providence. Let's prioritize prayer and let's turn to Him. Third characteristic we see with King David as a man after God's own heart is third, he embraced repentance. We're going to change the story just a little bit, but we see a story, as I just mentioned, where he looked out and he saw a woman and he lusted for this woman because he was king. He used his power to seduce and bring this woman and commit adultery with this woman. She gets pregnant and so he tries to hide it. Now, King David is a man after God's own heart, and that means there's some positives. But here's the thing I love about Scripture. Scripture does not hide the negativeness of our heroes. None of our heroes are perfect, which points us all to Jesus in a second. But King David was by far not perfect. And here he was. He seduces, and he forces a woman in, and he has intimate sex with her. And because of that, she gets pregnant. And he tries to cover it up by intentionally putting her husband on the front lines and demands his soldiers to leave him alone so he will die in battle. He murders him. He commits adultery. He gets the woman pregnant. And then he tries to cover up his sin. And he thinks he has gotten away with it. Then we see a prophet. And we're beginning to see prophets begin to make more and more appearances in the Old Testament. We haven't seen tons of prophets, not like we're going to in the rest of the Old Testament. But prophets begin to spring up when the season of kings. Now, we studied Judges, and we studied Ruth. Ruth was a part of the Judges. We skipped last week 1 Kings, just due to us focusing in on John chapter 20, having a topical sermon out of series. But when we began 1 Samuel into now uh, 2 Samuel, we begin the era of kings. Saul was the first king. Now, King David's the second king. This is who we were talking about. And kings were supposed to lead and be a representative of God over the people. They were supposed to be righteous. They were supposed to be these things. They were supposed to lead faithfully the people, but they didn't. So guess what? God started bringing prophets to speak truth into their lives. And so as we see prophets more and more pop up in the Old Testament, it's because the kings weren't being faithful to God. So prophets would speak to the kings, calling them to repentance. Well, King David's in a situation where he needs repentance. Because he has sinned greatly, not only against others, but against God primarily. And so Nathan's the prophet at the time, and Nathan comes and tells King David a story. 
He tells this story. There were these two people, and one had many, many animals and sheeps. And sheeps, not sheeps, sheep. And another one just had one sheep. And the one who had many went and took the one from the person. He just took the poor man's sheep and he took it. And King David goes, that's not fair. He had all this. Why would he take this one? And Nathan looked at him and he said, you are that rich man who took that one sheep. And he was calling him out because you have all these things and you took the one thing that was from this husband. You took his wife and you took his life. And because of that, the word of God came into King David's heart and he was convicted and one of the most famous psalms in all of Scripture is Psalms 51. And I want to read the beginning of it because Psalms 51 is King David's prayer of repentance in this moment. In Psalms 51, let me flip to it real fast, but it says this. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, King David would say, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Have you ever, could, could you recognize this language? Have you ever been in a situation where the Holy Spirit has convicted you greatly? It's like your sin is right in front of you. I know there have been moments in my life where the Holy Spirit's convicted me and the only way I can describe it, it's like He's taken my sin and He's put it right in front of my face. It's ever before me. I can't get it off my mind. That's Holy Spirit conviction. And if you're feeling that even now, if there's a sin coming to your mind, the Holy Spirit is being gracious to put it before you. Would you repent? It says, for I know, verse 3, I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. And he says this, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, once again, he has sinned against Bathsheba and her husband. But he's talking about priority. He says, you ultimately, God, my sin is against you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Meaning God is right to call us sinful. God is holy. We are not. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He says, from the moment of conception, sin has been all I'd known. And that is true for you and I. That because of sin, Romans chapter 5 says, we inherit that sinful nature. From the moment you and I are conceived and brought into this world, we have that sinful nature. It is ever before us. We are in the sickness of sin. We are in the death and the bondage of the curse of sin. Verse 6, Behold though, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Listen to me, repentance is not just confession with your mouth. But it's you being fully honest deep down inside you, the sin that's in your heart. See, what does it mean to be authentic? What does it mean to be truly repentant? It means that you're honest about the fact that you, that God sees all of you and that he is not at all deceived by your outward facade or mask or the, the fakeness that we try to cover up by hiding our sin. God sees right through that. True repentance is being honest with ourselves about who we really are before God. You delight me to be honest and truthful in my inward being. God, yes, I am sinful. He's saying, I admit, I confess of my adultery, of my seduction, of my murder, and I'm being honest about it. Might you too be honest with your sin. Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. This is, this is purification language. 
Purge me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Listen to me, we say it all the time. I do anyways, that that God takes broken pieces and make masterpieces. And listen to me, God is gracious when He brings uh, discipline into our lives to break us of ourselves, to break us of our pride, to break us of our sin. And then when we are broken before Him, He takes these broken pieces and He brings them back together. This is what King David's saying. My bones, everything in me is broken before you. But the bones that you have broken, they rejoice because you are bringing it all together. And he says this, hide not your face from my sins. If we read the rest of Psalms 27, he says, you have said to me, hide, have your heart seek my face. God says to King David, the prophet says to, that, to King David that we are to be a people who seek the face of God. And King David says, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Recognizing face, seeing the face of God is what God, we are longing for. And Psalms, excuse me, Revelation 22 says we will have one day in Christ. But he says, hide not your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. When God pours his face, he's pouring his presence towards us. He is exposing that and he says, blot out all my iniquities. Listen to this verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. And take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. Listen to me. You and I cannot save ourselves. You and I do not have to act like we've got it together. You and I, we learn from King David, one of the marks of him being a man after God's own heart was not that he was sinless. It is not sinless perfection. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. He was wicked in many ways. But he is given the honor of a man after God's own heart, not because of his perfection, but because of his honest repentance. He embraced repentance. When the Holy Spirit brought deep conviction on his life, He didn't push it away. He didn't try to hide it, but he embraced it. What sin are you trying to hide from others? What sin do you think you're hiding from God? What imperfections or insecurities or idol worship do you think is going to fulfill your life when actually God is just calling you to Himself? Would you embrace repentance? Would you embrace Christ and you embrace Christ by embracing repentance? Because it's in those moments when we embrace repentance that we come to a place of brokenness, that we come to a place of recognizing we are not in control, and we come to a place where we give it all over to Christ, and He takes our brokenness and He makes a masterpiece in our hearts and in our lives. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence, and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold a willing spirit. We see in King David, if we read the story, he goes on and faces consequences, even amidst repentance. And you've got to hear me that even in our repentance, sometimes we will face the earthly consequences that still come with our sin. But let us see that God embraces us in moments of belief and in moments of repentance. He picks us up. 
He forgives us. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and unrighteousness. In this season, maybe you are seeing that you are not in control. Maybe you are struck with fear because of uncertainty of the world around you. Maybe you are overcome with sin. Even now, there's a famous saying that an idle mind is the devil's playground. So maybe in our isolation, in our idleness, sin is becoming rampant. Maybe about what we're searching on the internet or maybe how we are talking. Maybe because we are in close proximity with husbands and wives and other people. Maybe we're fighting more because friction is coming. And maybe we have a lack of patience and love and grace and mercy toward others. But it's in moments of fear and uncertainty that our flesh reigns. It's in moments where we turn to a certain sin or we turn to food or we turn to alcohol or we turn to other things trying to numb the pain and the fear that we are feeling when actually we need to turn to Jesus. Might you see that only and in Jesus alone are we fully embraced and might we have the joy of our salvation that we are longing for. It is in the presence of God, it is in Christ, that the joy that we are looking for in all these other areas of idol worship and sin and food or whatever it may be in this season to try to make us feel better, Jesus is the only one that offers what your heart is looking for. I know this week I've had to be reminded of even that truth. I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine who you've met in Las Vegas just yesterday. And we were talking about this very thing of how it is in moments like this that we want to find comfort and oftentimes we look for comfort in the wrong things. For me, it just happens to be I've been eating a lot more cookies lately because my neighbor keeps bringing them. When in fact, I, I probably you know, am eating them not just because they're good because I'm also in a moment I'm feeling a, a sense of comfort there. I have a sense of control. I get to choose when so much of my life is out of control and uncertain. And just in that moment, I'm even recognizing how I am just turning to a control over food because it's an aspect that I can still control. When in fact, I even in that moment just need to trust God. I am looking to something else to give me comfort over than just looking to Christ for the joy of my salvation. So even in sin, when we face this, when we embrace repentance, we're giving over control and we're trusting that God will hold us. We're trusting that he'll still love us even when we reveal the darkest parts of our heart to him. And the truth is, what King David is saying when he says, you want truth in my inward being is that God already sees it. You can't hide it. Would you be honest with yourself? Would you be honest before God? And would you embrace repentance? Fourthly and lastly, we see him not only prioritize prayer, we see him not only trust providence, embrace repentance, but lastly, we see him fulfill purpose. Fulfill purpose. I want to go back to Acts chapter 13 because it's talking about King David there for a little bit. And it goes to verse 36 and it says this, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, he fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption or death. Essentially, he, this is very poetic language to say he died. That after King David served the purpose of God in his generation, he died. Listen to me. You and I are where we are, not by accident. You and I are in this generation for God's purpose. The church is in where we are in the season by God's sovereign providential plan. 
You were born when you were born and you were living and you were listening to this and you are where you are with your neighbors and your work and whatever because God wants to use you right where you are. See, King David was a man after God's own heart because he ultimately fulfilled the purpose of God in his own life. That the purpose that God had for King David was fulfilled because King David lived not perfect, but surrendered to the Lord. He tried to walk with the Lord every single day. And you and I, our purpose, the purpose that we personally, Jonathan defines for Jonathan is not what's important. But what is the purpose that God has for me in this season? Doctors, nurses that are listening to this, those that are on the front lines, you have the training you have, and God has gifted you with the knowledge and the skills that you have for such a time as this. We are grateful for you. We are praying for you. We want to find every way we can to support you. But let you hear the encouragement that of Psalms 27, that when it feels like everything is caving in on you, might you seek the Lord, Psalms 27.4. But then even Psalms 27.5 says this. Psalms 27.2 and 3 talks about the difficult situation that King David is in, that literally his life is about to be destroyed. But in verse 4, he seeks God and he prioritizes prayer and he seeks after Him. But listen to verse 5. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Verses 2 and 3 are the problem of destruction. Verse 4 is what he does about it. He seeks God. And verse 5 and 6 are the victory that God brings him because he sought after God. And I want to encourage you tomorrow when you wake up and go to work, I want you to know that we are praying for you and stick with it. Hang in there. You are our heroes. Many times in wartime, the heroes are the soldiers that go overseas. But today, you are the heroes that are going to the front battle. That you're going to the front lines. And God, for such a time as this, has allowed you to be where you are right here in New York City so that you can help others have life even when you sacrifice so much of your own. And I can think of no better picture of that than the person of Jesus who came and stepped in to our own sin and destruction. Who came and stepped in and understood from Romans chapter 5 makes it clear that because of sin, you and I have a disease of eternal death. And we needed not just a doctor, we needed a Savior. We needed someone who was going to jump right in there with us and who was going to save us. And that is exactly what John chapter 1 says. That Jesus came and He took on flesh in the same way that a doctor closed themselves so that they can go in to deal and take care of the patient. Jesus took on our flesh so that He could come and be with us. He lived amongst us and He even died because of us and our disease of sin. Acts makes it clear that it was our sin that hung Jesus on the cross, that He died. But through that sacrifice, that when we put our faith and trust in Him, we have eternal life. And so in a small way, doctor, might you see that you are practically a picture of Jesus when you are stepping in and you are trying to bring life 
even when you are sacrificing so much of your time, energy, and, and many are even sacrificing their own health so that others can have life. We are praying for you. We are with you. We are doing all we can. But let us not miss that this is exactly who Jesus is for us, that he is our Lord and our Savior who died for us so that we could have life. If you're listening to this today and you would be able to see that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sin and you are able to see that because of sin that you are dying, that you are already dead eternally. But Jesus was not just a good doctor. He was our great Savior who laid down His life so that if we surrender to Him and put our faith and trust in Him, Ephesians 2 makes it clear that He makes us alive. He heals us. He saves us. He gives us eternal life. And He allows us to spend eternity with Him. We are eternally cured from the curse of sin. Do you recognize you need saving? And today, might you put your trust and faith in Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for you. Jesus, we are grateful that you are our Savior. We are grateful that you have given your entire life for us. We are grateful that even in moments where we have nothing, that you are our everything. We are grateful that you take the broken pieces and make them masterpieces. We are grateful, Father, that you sent your son, 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 line, son to the front line for us. Not son, excuse me, son, Jesus, the one and only. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so, Jesus, we thank you that you are that for us. And I pray for everyone that is listening right now, if they do not know you as Lord and Savior, that right now in this moment, that they're the Holy Spirit, as it convicts them, that they would be honest with themselves, that they do not know you. And that they, Jesus, would surrender their life fully to you. That right now, just right where you are, listening to this, wherever you are, might you... Just pray, God, I need You to save me. I'm dying in the curse and the disease of my sin. Jesus, I need You to save me. Would You allow Him to be the great physician that saves you? Would You surrender to Him? Jesus, right now, all over, as people are hearing these words, Jesus, through the preaching of the truth of the Gospel, would you bring the power of salvation into homes and into people's hearts right now in the name of Jesus? Would people be surrendering to you? Jesus, we thank you for the saving work you are doing. We are thank you for your mercy. Turn to Jesus for salvation. In the same way, we practically with this COVID-19 are turning to doctors for salvation and physical health, might you see that you have an eternal disease and would you turn to Jesus for that salvation? Jesus, thank you for saving me. For the rest of us who are, are, are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, we thank you for that eternal life that can never be lost. But Jesus, would you help us be men and women after your own heart? Would you help us prioritize prayer? Trust your providence 
embrace repentance. And would you allow us to fulfill the purpose today that you have for us? Might we today, as New Hope Church, might we today, as the church in this city and the church around the globe, might we fulfill our purpose and be the hands and feet of Jesus? Might we fulfill our purpose in pointing people to Jesus in this time? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.